Good morning. My name is Amy Morgan, and our scripture reading for today comes from Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would imagine that on several occasions you've heard a phrase from someone that goes like this. Well, you know, I never heard that before. You know that phrase? I, I've heard people say that multiple times. I, I never heard that before. And sometimes they actually mean it's the first time they ever heard it. But you know what it also means? It frequently means, even though I heard that before, I've never heard it before. <laughs> it means I might have heard it, but it's dawning on me for the first time. If I think back uh, over my growing up years, I reflect on how many things I heard but didn't hear. And sometimes it was the result of somebody not saying it creatively or differently. I just heard the same words over and over again, and it didn't sink in. Which is, among other reasons, why I love multiple translations of the Bible. Some people get frustrated with multiple translations of the Bible because they assume that if the Bible is translated this way or that way, it means that one is right and one is wrong. And that's not true. It's a different window into the text. So here's the way I'd like to start my sermon this morning. I would like to read you the passage that we just heard from three different versions of the Bible. So hang in here. This is a lot of Bible, okay? Here we are. First from an older translation, paraphrase, the J.B. Phillips translation, he pens the words this way. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an intelligent act of worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and accepted by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but instead, let God remold your hearts and minds within so that you may prove in practice what the plan of God is, good, that meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Don't cherish, some of these 
turns of phrases are wonderful. Don't cherish an exaggerated idea of yourself or of your own importance. But try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. Same passage, different words. How about a little bit more contemporary version called The Message by Eugene Peterson. He translates it this way. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you, living then as each one of you does in pure grace. It's important that you not misrepresent yourself as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are or what we do for him. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? Just one more. This comes from an even more contemporary version called the Passion Version. It's an individual who spent much of his time in South America as a missionary and decided to translate the Bible. Beloved friends, he says, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender yourself to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights of his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideas and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your own importance. Instead, Honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as a standard of measurement. So let me uh, go over Romans chapter 12 and summarize the whole thing with you by three points. Not just the verses we read, but verses that follow. 
Here's the three points. Paul says, live out your grace, the grace you've been given. Paul also says, be transformed by the truth, the truth of God. And then Paul says, love one another and everyone else. So first, live out your grace. I've never been rescued. I mean, apart from redeemed by God. I've never been pulled out of a flaming wreckage. No one like a firefighter has taken me out of a third floor and redeemed my life. But I know of people who have experienced that. Sometimes the redemption, redemption came from a, a perfect stranger. Somebody just saw the accident and they yanked the helpless person from the car or someone saw the individual go into the water and they dove in after them and pulled them out. I remember one of those stories years ago. There was an airplane crash in the Potomac in the middle of winter in icy water and one individual, probably more, dove into the icy waters to rescue as many as he could. What I've heard is that when people are rescued in that manner, they have this immediate bond with their rescuer. It's almost as though they would do anything for this individual who gave them life. Paul is essentially saying that. You have been given grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with you. It's an absolute free gift of God. So live out that grace. And if you understand it, this grace, you can't help but be affected by it. If you're not affected by it, if it doesn't rock your world, it hasn't really sunk in. But when you understand it, it will affect your life. If you understand it, you also will not be able to remain static. If you really understand it, you won't be able to say, Thanks, I'll see you later. That's all I needed, God. If you really understand it, you will dedicate your life to the one who redeemed you. You will be a living sacrifice, holy, completely devoted to God. And how do you live out that sacrifice? Paul says in so many words, by living. Isn't it interesting, he could have said by going to church and praising God with all the people of God, and he wouldn't have rejected that idea. But that would have been something they would have expected. Of course I go to worship. Of course I sacrifice an animal in the Old Testament situation. Paul changes it, and he says, no, here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of the activity of worship in the temple, and then I want to tell you that the way you live out your grace is you become the living sacrifice, holy, fully committed to God. 
sometimes we'll say things like, I'm going to church to worship. If I understand Paul's phrase, we might also say, I'm going to work to worship. We might also say, I'm going out to exercise to worship. We might also say, I'm going to be in community with somebody else that I love in worship. Now, this one will seem a little outrageous, but it's possible, isn't it, based on what Paul has commanded, that we could say, I'm going to party in worship. That's why I love the phrase that Eugene Peterson puts in the message. Here's what I want you to do. Take your ordinary life, your ordinary life, your ordinary life, your ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's an act of worship, says Paul. Sometimes we have created an unhealthy bifurcation between body and soul. Sometimes we've created an unhealthy bifurcation between the eternal and the material. Sometimes we've created an unhealthy bifurcation against this life and the life to come. Paul, I don't think, wants us to do that. He wants us to blend it all together and say everything is an act of worship. Even a hearty sneeze. That, sorry. If you're going to sneeze, sneezes under the Lord, you know? I mean, enjoy it. Do, do life as an act of worship. That's what Paul says. So first he says, live out your grace. And second, he says, be transformed by the truth. You know, part of our vision statement is that we want to be a place that reflects the redeeming grace and the transforming truth of Jesus Christ in this college town. Why did we add transforming truth? Because it's natural. When you understand redeeming grace, you will be transformed by the truth of God. If you're not transformed by the truth of God, you don't understand the redeeming grace that you've received from God. Paul says, live out your grace and be transformed by the truth. Gratitude is wonderful, but there's more. Truth transforms our thinking. Truth is a reminder for us not to lapse into the pre-grace thinking. He puts it this way. Don't just accept the culture around you. That could be a long discussion, couldn't it? That could be a huge sermon. And I'm sure if I got detailed, some people would leave because it would be too controversial. It would cut too close. 
I'm not going to get detailed. What I will say is this. If everybody in your culture thinks it's okay, it's probably not. Because God's standards are different. I love being across the street from this wonderful university. I love the high level of thinking and the reflection that goes on. But as a Christian, I have to listen. I have to be humble. I have to understand. And then. Then. I have to critique. Then I have to say, as great as this sounds, as wonderful a solution as it might be, let me run it through the lens of the grace of God. How does it come out on the other side? That's what Paul's saying. Take everything about your life, even the truth of culture, and run it through the lens of the grace of Jesus Christ, the truth concerning God in Christ. And sometimes when we do that, the very declarations that we may have heard will be absolutely contrary to the Word of God. Other times when we do that, the declarations we have heard will be a beautiful reflection of the grace of God. But more often than not, the declarations we hear will be part of a reflection of the truth of God. Be critical in your thinking about your world. Whether it's the acquisition of wealth, whether it's the use of wealth, whether it's the use of power and influence, whether it's the use of love. Frequently our world justifies anything in the name of love. But the reality is that sin itself is a disordered love. We think of sin as just some sort of pure evil. More often than not, it's not a pure evil. It's a disordered love. If I said to you, I love sugar, I love it more than anything. I'm going to eat so much sugar that I'm going to be diabetic. And I don't care because I love sugar. You would say to me, Bob, please don't. It's not in your best interest. Sugar's good, but not that way. Wouldn't you say that? There's nothing wrong with me loving sugar, which, by the way, I don't. Not so much. Never put sugar in my coffee. Just ruins it. But put your label out there. What is your love? Your love might be disordered. And the truth of the Word of God pulls you back in. 
to help you understand what is the good and perfect will of God. So Paul says, live out your grace. Second, he says, be transformed by the truth. And third, he says, love one another. Now, if you were really careful about the reading, you might wonder where I got that. I got it from another section in Romans chapter 12. Let me read it to you quickly. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone and do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Love one another. That's the third major command. Love humanity. Everybody as well. And do it with sincerity. Don't do it like an actor on a stage. That's not true love. That's true acting. And how many times have you watched an actor on stage and been so drawn in by the character that you actually thought that was the actor? And then found out later, not at all. Don't be a fake with your love. Make it sincere. What was that commercial like? I'm not a real doctor. I just play one in a movie or something like that, right? Don't be like that person. That's what Paul says. Hate what is evil and cling on to what is good. Grasp hold of it and don't let it go. Be devoted to one another. Don't just put up with each other. That's better than being mean to the other person, putting up with them. But it's not what Paul calls us to. He says, be devoted to one. Devoted to one another. You know where that word is frequently used? It's a relationship between a husband and wife. Be devoted to one another. That's how I want you to live out your grace. That's how I want you to be transformed by the truth. Honor others above yourself. That does not mean have an unrealistic view of yourself in a lowly kind of way. Remember, Paul said, 
it's a good idea for you to assess yourself based on the gifts that God has given you. So it, it would be foolish of me, though some of you would disagree. Um, it would be foolish of me to constantly demean my ability as a public speaker, wouldn't it? That would just be silly. Because that's what I do for a living. And I know a lot of people who do it better. But I'm good enough to be up here with you. So there's no point in me acting like I can't speak publicly. That's just foolish. But I don't need to be haughty about it. And I ought to serve others completely with it. If you've got a tremendous gift, and many of you have tremendous gifts, the way to stay humble in the exercising of those gifts is to do it for the other and not for a claim. Do you ever notice how hard it is sometimes to applaud other people and how easy it is to applaud ourselves? I was running a half marathon in uh, St. Louis one time. And uh, I was plodding along like I always do. Not a fast runner, just grinding it out. And the finish line was coming in view. And of course, when the finish line comes in view, you have this sort of surge of energy, even if you're tired and exhausted and you want to finish strong. And I saw the finish line coming in view and I started picking up the pace. And um, there weren't very many people in front of me because that was like 90% of them had already crossed. But there weren't very many people in front of me. I was picking up the pace. And as I got close to the finish line, the entire crowd started clapping and screaming and yelling. And I'm like, man, this is great. I, I was thinking about who? Me. And just before I got to the finish line, on my right, a woman blew past me like I was standing still. And the public address announcer said, the finisher of the women's marathon, first place. Now, if you're not tracking with me, that woman and I left the starting line at the same time. And she finished a marathon in the same time I finished a half marathon. (laughs) And I was accepting the applause for myself. (laughs) Now, is that a picture of self-centeredness or what? All I can think about is how nice these people were being to me, and it was her blowing right past me. And you know what I did? I couldn't help it at that point. I felt so foolish. I just stopped running. And I walked over the finish line doing this. (laughs) I had to acknowledge that woman. I had to applaud her. There was just no other way around it. So honor others and elevate them above yourselves. Keep your spiritual fervor, Paul says. Through serving the Lord, which means serving others. Be joyful in hope. Don't you love that? Be joyful in hope. Don't be a curmudgeon about your hope. 
I, I looked at this, and since I'm such a deep, deep thinker, I thought of Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore. You know the character Eeyore? Eeyore is the kind of person that even if he had hope, he doesn't want to rejoice in it because he's afraid it might not happen and it would make things worse. As a matter of fact, Eeyore is quoted as saying, I never get my hopes up so that I won't be disappointed. (laughs) I I wonder sometimes if uh, the world looks at us like that as Christians. They're just kind of gloom and doom. They figure it's all going to burn up anyway. Jesus is going to come back and rescue them. It doesn't appear to be very joyful. Paul says, be joyful in your hope. Don't just hang on. Be patient in affliction. There we go again. Paul emphasizing the importance of suffering. Share with those who are in need. Let me put it differently. Your wealth, in terms of the perspective that Paul is suggesting, your wealth is not for yourself. Very un-American theme. Your wealth is for others. If you have been blessed by wealth, it's for the purpose of giving it or supporting others. That's a Christian thing. Practice hospitality. Back then, um, it was very uncommon to have a Hampton Inn in Galilee. Hospitality was in the homes. Paul says, be ahead of the curve. Be the kind of people that invite others in quickly. Do it personally, and if I were to give us admonition, do it as a church. I mean, right here. (laughs) When's the last time... um, you just invited somebody over for dinner just to do it from church to get to know them. Practice hospitality. This is basically the words of Jesus. Bless those who curse you. When you're attacked, Your M.O. cannot be, as a Christian, to attack back ten times harder. It can't be. Live in harmony with one another. That's sometimes hard to do. But do your best. Don't be proud. Associate with those of low position. Think just for a moment, just for a moment, inside your mind, think about your circle of friends. And ask yourself, who do I associate with? Mostly or almost exclusively? Paul might be saying this. If this is your circle of friends, what I want you to do is make that your circle of friends. 
I want you to associate with people outside your circle. On one occasion, uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, brought some indigent-type people into church and sat them on the front row. And the members of the congregation, unfortunately, I do believe the pastor said, they don't belong here. You know what William Booth said? So where do they belong? There's not a good answer for that, except right here. In fellowship, if not in this church, with me. As much as possible, he says, live at peace with everyone. Oh, you know, that doesn't say with certain people, did it? It didn't say live at peace with those who were easy to get along with. (laughs) Because we know a lot of people aren't. As much as is possible from your side of the fence, live at peace with everyone. And may God bless you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of Scripture, the challenge. And we thank you when it encourages us, and we thank you when it's hard. So, Lord, may we do the hard work of not allowing the world around us to squeeze us into its mold. And may we do the work of committing our everyday, ordinary, sleeping, eating, going around, working life to you as a sacrifice of praise because that is true worship. And in the words of the song that we're about to sing, I surrender, Lord, everything that's mine because it's yours already and it comes to me by grace. Amen.